Jimmy needs a doctor. I thought we were going Jimmy Conrad needs a doctor. Okay, Jimmy's what it said on the on on Twitter. That's because yeah, you but, couldn't fit Jimmy Conrad. You couldn't fit Jimmy Conrad. That's why you went with it. But, yeah, but I thought since it's out there, people were going to think it's Jimmy needs a doctor. But whatever. Nah, Jimmy Conrad. I think I agree with Lee that that there's Jimmy's yeah, the brand. Go. As much as I don't like the brand, Jimmy's the brand. <laughs> That's fair. Go for it. <laughs> That's the intro. <laughs> up everybody and welcome to another episode of the newly named podcast jimmy conrad needs a doctor i'm jimmy conrad and i'm happy to have an excellent doctor joining me as always dr lee hancock how are you feeling about the name change dr lee hancock i mean i like it you would think that i wouldn't like it because uh, i'm just a doctor but um i'm also not jimmy conrad so how how could i possibly be upset yeah no i like the name that's fair i like that reasoning all right, let's talk about this topic. I've got a good one for you today, and I'm really interested about your thoughts and how important this part of life is, not just in sports, but just in life, and it is visualization. And I'm going to tell you a story, Dr. Lee, and I want you to break it down in parts if you want, or if you want to wait till the end. It's up to you. Shoot. <laughs> Shoot. He says, all right, here we go. So I was struggling my second year, third year in the league. Okay, 2001. I couldn't get into the team. And I was surrounded by a very excellent group of players. We ended up going on to win MLS Cup, San Jose Earthquakes. And I think that was due in large part because we won the Landon Donovan sweepstakes when he came back from Bayer Leverkusen. Yes, he was young, but you could tell he was super talented. And we yeah. just made some moves that made our team better, including Jeff Agus. And I bring up Jeff Agus because he was on the cusp of playing in his second World Cup. Yeah. And anytime he got called into the national team, he would come back to training with the team and just had this confidence that I couldn't figure out how do you have that confidence? Where does that come from? And I assumed it's because you're with the national team. You, you have achieved this thing and you've got this aura about you. And I wanted to know what that felt like, but I wasn't good enough yet as a player to, or at least in my mind, to really achieve that type of swagger let's just call it swagger okay yeah so i remember i remember telling wade barrett about these thoughts i was having like what is what does it feel like to walk back to come back from a national team camp and rejoin the team and maybe i assume played well but you're representing your country that must be awesome and i told wade barrett i remember we were warming up we'd we'd run next to each other at the start of every practice before it got into the formality of practice and we'd chat and whatever and I said, you know what? I'm going to try to act like what that is. I'm going to try to, to replicate in my mind for one week just that I'd gone to the national team and I came back. And Lee, I shit you not, I was awesome. I was playing out of my mind. I was, I was enjoying myself. I was playing one touch, two touch. I was making decisions quicker. By the middle of the week, though, I was starting to crumble a little bit because I couldn't keep it up. I didn't know how to maintain that level of confidence. And that was a skill that I had to learn moving forward. But what I wanted to say about this was that I started to envision what it was like. I started to visualize what it would be like to play for the national team. And that was a really interesting entry point for me into the power of visualization, into goal setting in some ways, and to not like an out-of-body experience, but but putting myself in somebody else's shoes to to. And this could go both ways, right? That it could be for empathy, right? For somebody that's struggling, but also in terms of how do you 
how do you gain that confidence that seems so hard to gain? And how do you maintain that? These are a couple layers here. And I just want to add to the fact that I always marveled at players like Eric Cantona, who played for Manchester. This guy had confidence oozing out of his pores. And I just marveled at the fact, how and where does that come from? And so it's, it was an interesting journey for me, but that was my first time taking a step in that direction in a meaningful way, which I want to just put a button on this. When I did get to the national team and when I did come back to play for my club after that, I did have that confidence and it was exactly like I envisioned. Well, I mean, <clears throat> there, there's a lot there. And I, I love the name of the podcast because everybody is Jimmy Conrad today because everybody needs a doctor. Uh, I, your your thing about visualization and imagery is very powerful. Uh, I use it with athletes. I use it with myself. I use it with my kids. We all use it, okay? I could get into the minutia and the difference between visualization and imagery. I'll do that in a little bit maybe, but I think it's more fun to talk about what I think you did an amazing job of and what I think is really important when you start to visualize or create images. Number one, you had a role model right? You were very young, right? You had Jeff Agus, who you were like, this guy, how is he doing that? Okay. Uh, and so you had somebody to shoot for, right? As you think about Cantona, you know, he came to United, um, and I assume you're talking about United, Cantona United versus another, you know. Yeah, not, Le- not, not Leeds United. Not Leeds, United. Yeah. yeah. And so he was, he was a veteran. And so that, that confidence, uh, while young players can have it, you get it definitely as you get older and he is, he is the vision of it. And he just, I can see his goal when he looks up and he opens his arms up and that one, oh, that, that, that warms my soul. Um, and so you had a role model in Jeff Agus. I also think what you did a very interesting job of is, and I'll ask some questions here is you had Wade Barrett to bounce himself off of, right? You guys were a similar age or he was a little bit older. You guys were what? He's like a year or two older than me. So you're early mid twenties, early twenties. Yeah, I was 20, I was 23 at this, 24 at this time. And Wade was 26, 25, 26. So what I, what I like about that is you, you were willing to share and felt safe and comfortable sharing and asking him, right. Which we, which we don't always do as people and as, and as young athletes, we go, we go, I'm going to figure it out myself. Okay. And uh, and the third piece is so you had a role model. You had somebody to ask some questions of. And, and the third piece is here that I, I really like about you. And I think what, what makes and what has made you great is you're, you're willing to, um, to ask those questions and you're willing to take leaps and go, how can I do this? So that's just the beginning of imagery and visual, visualization. So I, I think those three pieces are, are key, right? Because a lot of athletes are not willing to do that. They're just going to, they go, I'm just going to keep hitting it. It's like, you don't, you're not doing that. You're taking a different route. Um, and then as you start to, to go and you start to, to create that image, you did this thing of fake it until you make it or fake it <laughs> before you make it, which is honestly really important because how can you know until you go and you try it, you know? And as you, let me ask you a question about this. So as you started to create that image in your mind, how did you do, you, you had this week to lead up. You, you said a week, I'm sure it was longer than that. So what did you do? How did you fake it until you make it? Did you tell yourself, I'm going to be, I'm going to do this. Did you go to sleep thinking about the next day? How, how did you do that? I would say that the buildup to this 
I had seen it once or twice before. So it was already gestating, let's say, in my brain mm -hmm. about what that looks like and how someone carries himself when they get back from the national team. So you had a role model, right? Yeah, I Jeff did. Hager. I, I, I saw it, right. And obviously, he was a very good professional. So how he trained, I was paying attention to. And the little mm -hmm. things that he took a great deal in. And, and what I loved is when we played possession, he would never get into the fray. He would mm -hmm. always kind of stay in the peripheral. And I was like, I don't understand. You're, you're a national team player, Jeff Agus. He's like, that's not my job in a game. So why would I try to go mix it up? I'm here to organize and put people in good spots. And when I get it, I play simple. So there was these little nuggets of information that he gave. But Again, I'm not like that. I like to get in there and prove myself every time. Even in possession, I like to be right in the middle. I love that you're looking at it, though. Like, again, as you think about those first couple of things I said as, as the foundation of imagery, you're getting it. And if you don't have the example, because there's some there's some theories out there and some constructs to say you, you've got to have a little bit of the information to be able to create this piece in your long-term memory. And it's true, but how can you have it until you get it? And, and so mm -hmm. you were creating that from Jeff Higgins. Okay. So you watched him, he was on the fray and, and what else, how, what else did you do during that week? How else did you well, so, manifest so it? What, when I was talking about it with Wade, initially started with me and I started to think about it, right. And how to verbalize it. And then as you say, be safe talking with Wade about it and, hearing his ideas about how you try to get that confidence as well. And then, so that was a couple of weeks of a buildup, I'd say. And then I tried it. Like, I, I'm like, I'm going to come in this week and I'm going to try to act like I played for the national team. I'm going to act like I'm the best defender in the country. And what is, I'm going to have that, this, I'm not going to be insecure, I guess is the best way to say it. I'm not going to mm -hmm. question my decisions. I'm just going to play. I'm going to play what I see. I'm not going to have any doubt. I'm not going to have any regret. I'm just going to play what I see, play quickly, organize people. And I just kind of cut out all the bullshit, frankly, mm -hmm. of being in my own head and just, and just stayed in the moment in some Zen-like way. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting. Now, I will say those first two days, the coaches were, came up to me and were offering me compliments I had never heard them say about me before because I was playing so assured. Right. I, I, there was no hesitation in my game, but I was in, completely enjoying myself because I was like, hey, I'm acting like I'm a national team. It was ridiculous. Right. Yeah. I was like role playing. But then by Wednesday, like I made a mistake and then that led to something in practice. And I started to feel sorry for myself and I could feel my old habits kind of coming back. Mm -hmm. Now, I will add to the fact that when I got to the national team and I finally got there, I knew that I could not show any type of emotion if something went wrong. I knew that was a red flag of this guy isn't ready for this level. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had to shake that immediately. So no matter what happened, no matter how tired I was, I never showed it. I just started organizing people. So one of my crutches, if you find any plays of me off the national team, anytime that I think I didn't do well, or if I made a bad pass or that, you know, whatever, I cleared it. Not, not too many bad things happened to me with the national team, thankfully. But, but if it did, I'd always, you'd always see me initially. My, my crutch was I'm just going to start organizing people and move on to the next play. Because if I start appearing like I'm feeling bad about myself and other people are like, oh, Jimmy did kind of crappy on that play. And they'll start to remember it too. But if you just move on to the next thing, everybody else moves on as well. Really fascinating. Okay. So <clears throat> two things in there. It's interesting that you called it a crutch. It's not a crutch. Okay. What, what, what it is, is it's a, it's a signal to your mind and your body that I am ready to move on. And, and I'm not going to let the moment dictate the pace of the game. I am going to do that. And so that is a, that's a common thing. And, and, and what I also like about the, about this and the image piece, because there's two things in here that athletes do a lot of, you don't know, you don't, you, you don't know 
that you're doing it, but you are doing it in terms of being a sports psych and implementing all of the things that I would say to an athlete to do. And the second thing that I'm going to talk about, and then I'll go to the first thing is you have that, what you call the crutch, which is actually just a, a, it's a tool, right? Mm -hmm. To it's, it's a physical cue to say to your mind, I am not going to be negative. In fact, I'm going to move on to the next thing. Right. And because you're a yapper, you know, you, you <laughs> organized and you talked and you moved your hands and you, and you, and you gyrated and gestated, you know, and you were, you were, you were as if you were on the dance floor wearing red leather, you know, <laughs> and moving through this, this, this piece of I'm going to be organized. And that's a really important piece that a lot of athletes should be able to understand and adopt. And you were doing it unconsciously. And so what I try to provide athletes is that they don't know that they're doing it because sometimes people would go, God, you know what I do? And this is my, this is my crutches. I put my hand on my face and I put my head down, you know, and that's not good. So you did it the right way. And to say to an athlete to do that is really important. So that's the two. The first thing is, and I, this is a question <clears throat> because you skipped over a lot of this. You're like, I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just doing it. You know, you're like, I just made the changes. Well, that's true and not true. So I want to ask you, like, this is the thing. You're only playing for two hours a day. So what about the other 22 hours? Do you remember anything off the field that you kept saying to yourself or doing? Did you go to sleep differently? Because visualization and imagery, again, tying this notion of, of getting a picture of who you are and who you want to be is really not just the two hours you're on the field. Do you have any recollection of how you treated yourself off the field during that time? I like to think that I was trying not to, and I hearken back to a conversation that I had with my girlfriend, now wife, and she said something to me that still sticks with me today, that around this same time period, I stopped talking to her about how my practice went. Hmm. I stopped complaining about this, that, or the other. I just said, yeah, practice was good, or I, I, would, I, would, I would mention it, but I had moved past it, right? Or whatever I had done, I, I wasn't living in the past, I guess is probably the best way to say it. Though I had taken what I needed to learn from it, I wasn't necessarily letting it be an anchor. That's what it felt like to me when she said that, because for her to actually go out of her way to say, wow, you didn't complain about practice today, and for her to be surprised about it, says something to me that, that I'm maturing in some ways, that I'm starting to grow and get away from being the, why isn't it always going, why isn't it always going my way kind of thing and just accepting what is in front of me and, and addressing each thing and trying to get better every single day. That's where I, I feel like that's a, it was a growth statement for me. That's how I received that information. Did you from eat her. that? Did you eat that? Meaning, did you just swallow it or did you just say in your mind and did you just stop talking to her about it altogether? No, no, of course not. No, no, no. There's been a lot of ups and downs since then, sure. of course, right? No, but, but what I'm saying is in that moment, did you, did you, or did you just stop being negative about it? When she said, oh, I, I was training, I, you go, oh, it was pretty good. Yeah, no, I didn't necessarily get short, but I would, I would, I just lost the negativity around mm -hmm. training and, and mm -hmm. really started to use training as more of a, a platform for me to get better as opposed mm -hmm. to getting sucked into the drama of why I'm not playing and all the stuff that just doesn't matter that you don't have control over anyway. Right. So yeah, I think that was just a moment and I don't know why it sticks with me 19 years later, but, be, but I just feel like that was a moment where I had started to take a step and, and 
shed the, I'm not a boy anymore. I'm starting to become a man because this is the man I want to become. So it's interesting because there's a couple of things in there. And this is why I'm asking you what you did off the field. Because again, as you start thinking about visualization, if this is what we're talking about, and I think what we're really talking about is confidence, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, What you probably did was not only stop the negative, but you started the positive, Mm. right? Because stopping the negative is, is massive. You've got to be able to tell yourself, you know, to stop saying you suck or, or second guessing yourself or this sucks and everybody sucks and why isn't he picking me and, mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. But the second piece is, and this is what I think you did based on your story at the beginning is I can do this. You got your shoulders up. You probably had some thoughts about, well, what does it look like? And you got Jeff Agus in your mind, right? You've probably got a couple mm-hmm. of other folks, Cantona perhaps and another name you mentioned. And then you have this vision of what it needs. And then, and then you started to see yourself in those shoes is my guess. Right. Right. And, and say, well, I can do this. And then, and then of course you went and you, and you faked it until you made it. Right. Which is again, and which I'll talk about in a second, because I think it's important. That's a really important piece because you started to see yourself doing the change, which again, as I start to work with athletes, that's what I say to them. You know, uh, you have to not only stop it, but you have to start it. So I'm going to jump in and also say that my rookie year, I was in and out of the lineup, still unsure of myself. I felt like I deserved to be in MLS. 22, 23-ish? Yeah, I was 20, 99, so 22. And I was having a tough time. And I couldn't, it was probably taking too long to make decisions. So what I ended up doing was I watched a Champions League game. Okay, I remember watching... Maldini and Nesta for AC Milan, uh, Marcel Desailly. You know, I watched these guys in a couple Champions League games, and I created a chart, Lee, of when these guys took one touch, when they took two touch, when they decided to clear a ball, like would look at kind of situational awareness and, and the decisions they made within different situations based on relative to where the ball was and where their teammates were, all that stuff. So I had a pretty detailed – I wish I had these sheets still, by the way. Because uh, I would love to show my kids just how insane I was about getting better and this, this yeah. thirst to, to get better. Mm-hmm. But I had all these things. And when I broke down everything that they were doing, there was nothing that the, I saw on this sheet that I had started that I couldn't do myself. What those guys did well was that they always stayed cool and calm and more often than not made the right decision in those right situations. And I could, I was having a hard time doing that consistently. So I took the same chart and I started to apply it to what I was doing at training every day. I was lonely my rookie year. I was rooming with Richard Mulrooney, who I love dearly. He's, he's one of my longest friends or longest serving friends, longest serving. Sounds like it's a chore to be my friend. Maybe it is for a long time. Maybe maybe it is a chore (laughs) to be my friend. He's now the coach of university of Memphis, but he's, He's a bit of an introvert and I'm not. So we lived together our first year and it was hard sometimes to relate. He was playing a lot and I wasn't, and I didn't want to be there kind of bitching about stuff all the time. So I would just kind of go back to my room and read some books and listen to music. And I started to do this, like this chart. And I would then, it really helped me, I think, maintain my emotion in some ways to not be so high or low by adhering to this thing. How many times did I turn the ball over? You know, did it lead to something dangerous when I did turn the ball over? You know, did my passes that did go forward, did they turn into something positive? I really got detailed. And I, I stayed with that for two or three years. That led into now playing with Jeff Agus and now starting to not necessarily need that chart as much, but to start to visualize this is the type of player I want to be. And now that, as you say, the role model, and I don't think maybe I 
should probably thank Jeff Agus and write him a thank you card for, for just being that visual for me. But being around him and that level of professionalism and seeing what needed to be done to, to play at the highest of levels. So let's talk about what you did because you there's a that's a theme with you. <clears throat> and I think it's a really good thing. And I think it's a theme for a lot of um, athletes and, and high-level performers. And, and the theme is you will look at something and go, how can I learn from that? How can I be better? How can I, how can I compete with that? How can I compete with myself? And, and then you would, you took touchable, tangible steps, even though you didn't know what you were doing, you very much knew what you were doing and that you were doing something. And this is really important for you because you talked about it with Marcelo Baboa's dad in a previous episode about what did he do? He went to the park and worked, right? What did, what, what did these people do? Well, they did this, right? It's the same thing when you probably got into social media stuff. It's like, well, what do they do? Well, you just do it, right? And that's a really important theme because a lot of youth athletes go, well, I don't know what to do. Can somebody make a session for me? What? Just go and hit the <laughs> ball against the wall a thousand times and it'll probably help you a little bit. And I think that's a really important piece for people is like, don't do nothing, do something. And in the pursuit of improvement, the something will get refined and you'll get better at it. Your something was meticulous in this particular case because it was providing some data to you to go, I can do this. You know, and I can touchably, tangibly go and improve myself. And that provided the fodder and the, and the role model, uh, touchable, tangibleness to your visualization. And I think what that did is then as soon as you, and this, and this is for everybody, but it's also to you, as soon as you started to do that back to your story and you go back out there, you have some things that now you're doing and you saw yourself doing it and now you're doing it. And the big thing is, again, you're walking around, you've got your shoulders up. You're looking around, you're doing, you know, you're, you're, you're doing what you're, you look the part, which I don't like that phrase, but I hear it all the time. He looks the part, mate. Uh, and so he goes and he, and he's doing the stuff and then people are noticing. And as soon as right. people notice and your coaches go, wow, Jimmy, good stuff. And you're thinking, okay, I'm Billy big cheese. And here <laughs> I go. And, and you're doing well, you know, and that combination right there is really important because you're getting rewarded, which we don't want. We would like to reward ourselves and we don't want to count on other people, but we do, you know? And, and I think that that your visualization and your fake it until you make it uh, led to those, those pieces, which again, very doable for everybody. I will say too, this story just jumped into my mind when you were saying this. Fast forward now to Kansas City, where I'm starting to come into my own and starting to get recognized, right? Starting to get a little bit more attention. I was my first best 11, my second year uh, as an all-star. I was up for defender of the year for the first time ever at the end of 2004. And I come into preseason 2005. And Tony Miola, first day, I haven't seen him in months because whatever we have, just it was the offseason. He goes, hey, are you, are you, are you taller? And... There's something, something a little bit different about you. And I guarantee you it was because my shoulders were back and I knew exactly who I was and what I wanted to do and where I was going. And at that point, I hadn't been with the national team yet. It was just, you know, I'm, 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 I know who I want to be. And you know I, know what, you, I know what I have to do yeah. to get there. There are some, we should do a whole nother discussion on this, but um, that's a body language discussion. And until I read an author named Amy Cuddy, uh, I was like, body language? Just, just what, you know, but there is a lot of great data to it. And Amy Cuddy talks about the notion of presence. Great book. If you don't have time to read the book, there's a great YouTube clip on her explaining fake it till you make it and body language, which is why I glommed onto that 
phrase at well, the what, beginning. Well, that, just to jump in, that's why I was explaining to you with the national team why I would handle mistakes or any kind of perceived mistakes in my mind when something didn't go well. I'd immediately start organizing people because I thought it was a strong body language cue that I had moved past it. And it's, before, when I was a kid, though, dude, I, my mom was embarrassed. I would drop F-bombs at tournaments. She would she'd keep her head down. Like I was a, I was a maniac. I would, yeah. If I made a mistake, I'd be like throwing chairs if we lost, you know, and it was my fault. I was a mess. So to, to, to be that kid at one point to where I am now is, is crazy. I've got three of those in the house. There's a lot of broken <laughs> chairs, there's a lot of broken Wii remotes and PlayStation remotes. Um, the older one has moved on, but the twins are, are that spitfire, you know, but that says you care, right? It's, right. it's, 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 it's better to have that than nothing, you know, um, very passionate, very Argentinian. <laughs> very passionate I'm on uh, but back to the so this is your thing about body language and just a, a quick excerpt here from her from her work is the body language not only says to other people which is what you were talking about her research focuses on what it does to the sender of the information and so me my body language when you open up what it does and she goes along this whole thing of when animals look o- look to take over their group or when somebody wins a race, they put their hands in the air, right? What that does is it increases testosterone and decreases cortisol, your stress hormone. And so that says to the sender of the information, I'm here, right? I'm up for this. As opposed to when you when you drop in and you cover yourself up and, and you make yourself small, that increases cortisol and decreases testosterone. And so the research there is fantastic. And she talked about her story, which is an amazing story and you should look it up. I won't spend time here on it. But this, this notion of fake it until you make it, just go out there and do this and open yourself up. You know, Give yourself that time because physiologically, there is a change there. And mm-hmm. couple that with your visualization and, and, of course, the improved play that you spent time on. You put those things together, and all of a sudden, that, that's a recipe for national teamness. You know. Okay. Okay. So then let's talk about for any kids or coaches that might be listening. At what age do you start this process? Because as I mentioned, I was a maniac when I was younger. I just, it was really hard for me to corral this emotion that I had. And actually I saw a great documentary on Roger Federer and everybody likens him to like the, the classiest tennis player of all time. But when you see him in his teenage years and maybe even his early twenties, the guy's all over the place. He is an emotional wreck as well. And it's really fascinating because I could relate to him in some ways and how he tamed that beast and, and channeled that. I don't necessarily think it's negativity, but that, 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 that anger it's inside energy. of him. Yeah. Energy, angry, angry energy in some ways, frustration into Great something song. positive and something that he can control. Yeah. So I have this phrase that I use all the time. Uh, it's easier to tame a lion than push a sheep. Right. Because that energy, you look at my sons or you look at a bunch of kids out there. It's like that energy is crazy energy, you know, but it's very important. If you don't have that to, to get it to somebody, how can you make more somebody more aggressive? Uh, not sure you can. Uh, but how do you manage it? Well, that's something that you can talk about. So your initial question of when do you start doing it? Well, when they're young. Right. But you don't want to squish it. And this is really important with young kids is those kids, and we talked about this on a previous one, I don't remember which one, but th- that energy, those kids are, are tomorrow's game changers, right? And while they're ruining your practice today, right, <laughs> with their energy, 
when you manage that at 13, 14, 15, 16, and you, and, and you're a manager of young men and women at, at, at those ages, then you, you can harness it. So for me, it's a young age and I love that, you know, give me those players because those are the kids that are going to win you championships, right? Those are the kids that are going to be Jimmy Conrad's over time where their talent is good, but not great. And their energy is there, but not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At a young age, young age. Yeah, I love this topic, and I feel like there's a lot of different ways to go, different directions, right? Visualization, uh, imagery, confidence. I know that you want to talk a little bit more about confidence, so maybe we touch upon that before we let everybody go. Well, I mean, that's a that's a whole other episode, but but the one that we that I would pull from is um, previous experiences, meaning you were trying to build your confidence having never done it before. And as soon as you did it, but even though you were faking it, you had that previous experience and you, you had done it and you, you went out there and you saw that it worked, right? It's like taking a different road to get somewhere. And you're like, I don't know if that road's going to get me there faster, but I guess I'll try it. And all of a sudden you shave 10 seconds off your time. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, how can you know until you do it? Once you get that previous experience, that's a major building block of confidence. And even though, again, you faked, you faked it, you actually got it, and then you were getting some, you know, some, some praise for it, so you're like, oh, let me try this again. And that set the foundation for you to have real confidence as you went into more and more difficult situations, higher up in ages, um, uh, and, and yeah, in, in, in national teams and championships and, and all that. So, yeah, that's a big topic. Big topic. Do you feel like this can be applied to everyday life with regard to diet, nutrition, exercise? Sure. Can you create these habits and disciplines through visualization and imagery? I- I'm going to say yes, but but I'm not the doctor. Yes, and and it's and it's as easy as and this is what I think about winding back to the beginning of the topic is you know visualization and imagery and and these things. I mean, sports psych has a way of complicating it, but it's as simple as can you think about your day the night before? Can you be positive in your thought process about how you're going to solve the problem the night before? When you go to sleep, you start thinking about your day the next day, and sometimes you can't fall asleep, right? But sometimes you wrestle with those thoughts and you go, okay, I've got this. Tomorrow's going to be difficult, but I can do this. We can do this. Everybody, And all of a sudden, you go to sleep thinking about those things. That's visualization and imagery. It's as simple as that. Whether it's dieting the next day, whether it's a big presentation at work you have the next day, you know, whether it's whatever it is, you know, but yeah. For sure. So, so I got two things for you, and this might tack on a few more minutes, and I can already see producer Monty going, "Oh my God, let's cut the show, let's end don't it right now." Monty. Don't listen to yeah, no, can't listen to Monty. Can't listen to Monty. So, one of the things that I do when I wake up every morning is I say to myself, "And we go again," because I just feel like it puts me in the right frame of mind to really attack the day. So that's one. Uh, the second thing that I wanted to say. And now I completely forgot what it was. <laughs> God damn it. I tried to set up that joke for Monty and I forgot what my second thing was. Um, oh, oh, here it is. The second thing is, I feel like in some ways you need to suffer to feel alive. So when I work out, I try to push myself to a place where I'm uncomfortable. And the satisfaction that I get once it's completed is unreal. There's a big giant hill by my house. It, it intimidates me. I get scared thinking about, I don't know if I could run that hill today. It's, it's so long. It's probably a half a mile long and it's straight up. And I've done it 20 sometimes. And every single time I like want to use the bathroom before I go run because I'm so nervous about it. 
but I don't have a time that I put myself on it. I just don't want to stop running. But I, I'm telling you, when I come back down that mountain and I come, I, the rest of my day, my rest of my week, I feel like I can accomplish anything. And I yeah. found this other, other area by my house. Thankfully, I live by some hills where I just sprint up this one hill. And it sucks. And it's only for 12 minutes. And I try to see how many I can do in 12 minutes. And I'm hurting, but I never feel more alive than when I suffer a little bit. And I, and I wonder how that all kind of ties into it. Maybe it doesn't, but I just feel like when you push yourself into these areas where you are uncomfortable, when you are trying to become somebody that you want to become, but don't know how to do it, there's this element, I think of suffering in some ways to try to figure out how to get there. But I can assure, assure you that once you do get there, the satisfaction is, is a feeling you'll never replicate in anything else. And in fact, I think I still chase it in some ways because uh, I'm addicted to that type of satisfaction. So the last minute is why the show is called Jimmy Conrad Needs a Doctor. <laughs> uh, just so if everybody wants to know this. I don't know if you need to suffer in order to feel alive. I think that the difficulties that we all face provide us an opportunity to work through those and, and appreciate the times when it is good. And I think too many of us do not want to, me included, uh, sometimes do not want to embrace those difficult times, you know, and go, wow, these are, this is good for me, you know, and we're in one of the most difficult times as a country in terms of the pandemic that I think we've faced, um, and to look at this and go, well, how can I use this to get better is really difficult when you're in it, you know? Now, do you need to suffer? I mean, you do, clearly. Um, <laughs> but again, we can tackle that on, on continued episodes. But I do think that there is something there uh, that provides you an opportunity to, to use that to move you forward. The problem is a lot of people wallow in that self-pity and can't change gears, right? And, and they just stop at the need to suffer part. You know, which is, again, you got to stop the negativity and start something positive. And it's easier said than done. Um, but, yeah, I do think that, that that's a, a really important piece for all of us as human beings, regardless of sport or not, to, to help us appreciate those, those times and move forward and get better. Well, speaking of starting something positive, and how's that for a segue? That's why we started this podcast. So a big thank you to all of our newly loyal listeners for all of your love and support. And for anyone that's new here, go listen to a few more shows because I'm pretty sure you'll want to subscribe and tell all of your friends and give us a five-star rating on every platform possible after you do so. And that's my hope, at least. Also, we have the Academy Director for the Houston Dynamo, Paul Holliker, as our special guest for the next show. And we already have a ton of questions for him, so it should be fun and informative, like always. And, of course, we'll see you soon. Okay, fine. You won't see us because this is an audio. I didn't know what else to say. Producer Monty, don't look at me like that. Okay, fine. How about this? We're done talking. Later. Later.